Super Value Online Shopping delivers convenience and great value right to your door. From lunchbox fillers to tasty midweek dinners, enjoy the low prices on Super Value own brand ranges you know and love online at supervalue.ie. Win with low prices that compete with anyone. Win with Super Value Online Shopping. At times it's becoming farcical and you have to really feel for these players and management. This isn't normal in any shape or form. For your first chance to hear Brian O'Driscoll on OTB, download the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black box car insurance lets young drivers bounce past high cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone official sponsors of the Irish rugby team team of us everyone in alright well this is why everybody loves rugby it's because the All Blacks are in town it is a full house a full stadium Brian O'Driscoll this is about as exciting as it gets in international rugby right? Yeah, pretty much is. You know, the the two weeks that are um, that really grab the nation's attention are playing against England and playing against the All Blacks, particularly at home when you know you're going to have a packed Aviva Stadium. So, particularly as well, all the more showing a little bit of form going into it as well. Just it gives us every reason to get overexcited and and ahead of ourselves. So yeah, we I don't know if we'll ever learn. Exactly, we don't, and that's that's the uh, the great. Me included, by the way. Me included. <laughs> well, here's the thing: before the Japan game, you were predicting a close win, and then we blitzed them by sixty points. We're like, ah, sure, they're no good anyway. Can't get carried away, but we're getting a little bit carried away, and maybe we should get a little bit carried away. That's the whole point of being sports fans. Yeah, it is. It is. But we see we've been here before. It, <laughs> but it does feel as though. Um, there's reason after a performance like that. You have to remember too, you know, the last outing with the full team prior to Japan was against England, where they put them to the sword. They played fantastically well. The two performances during the summer weren't perfect against USA and Japan, but that was with, you know, all the missing Lions. Um, So, you know, our, our first game back, you usually don't hit the ground running quite as quickly as that. And to have the caliber of play, whatever about the scoreline, it's actually the manner in which we played. It was like we looked like a really great rugby nation. And yes, the, def- the Japan defense was questionable at times and their speed of ruck ball was something that you wouldn't ordinarily get against a tier one nation. But the reality is they were trying things and they came off. And the first 20, 25 minutes, it's as good as I've, I've seen Ireland for a number of years. Uh, take the opposition out of it. It was just the way that they were trying to play. So I... I think that's why we're getting excited. And if they can play that style and they can have some success from us, we're, we're in for one heck of a game. OK, let, let's talk a little bit about the, the team. There's, it, It's a significant vote of confidence for the team that started against Japan. And when the team was named and you looked at the Souls bench, you kind of felt like, ooh, this beginning to look like he's made his mind up about some things. And he, he seems to have very close to... A starting 15 here and um, obviously Robbie Henshaw's still out and, and hasn't played enough yet so you think Henshaw gets back in almost irrespective of what happens but after that Ian Henderson has come back in okay so there's going to be there's obviously a bit of nip and tuck going on between Henderson and Tyburn, and that's fair enough but after that is Jameson Gibson Park now our number 9 is that it it's like it's his jersey to lose back to back big games yeah well it's his jersey to lose until he has a performance that opens the door for Conor Murray. That's the reality of where you're at when you're not 
um, locked in as your guaranteed scrum half because of the you know the um, performances that you put in over a concerted period of time, a la Conor Murray. Um, you know, it, it, you you know he has to earn the right to hold on to that jersey for five, six, ten games before it becomes his own. And Conor Murray is a seasoned campaigner. You know, he um, has had a return to form. I think he's been impressive this last year, a little bit patchy during the Lions, but I think we've seen a vast improvement on the last couple of years. So he, he, Jim Gibson Park will know that if he is a bit off the boil, that um, that Conor Murray will be there to come in and, and, and Murray doesn't need a second invitation in those situations. So it's, I think it's all to play for in the nine jerseys still, but it's definitely based on last week's performance that Jameson Gibson Park retains it. It's a good situation for Andy Farrell to be in and probably the first time since he's taken charge that he's had what he feels like a full deck to deal with. At one stage or other, some of his world-class players have been out or injured or out of form. You, you know, Sexton was out, Furlong was out. James Ryan lost form and seems to be back now to the, the original form that we all made him a shoe in for the Lions two years ago. So it, you must he must be feeling pretty good about life where the game plan is taking shape and the fit players are coming back to form and doing what he wants them to do. Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the most exciting aspect in all of this is the emergence of that front row unit um, and how all three of them are ball players. The, the, the reality is, where have we come unstuck over the course of the last six or eight years and even going back to 2007 World Cup against Argentina and France is that we got beaten up. And when you all of a sudden have a front row that are capable of playing hard and and, and physical, uh, in, you know, in horrible conditions, roll your sleeves up, but then playing on hard track where they've got soft touches, they've got footwork, and they're ball carriers, all three of them, I think that that kind of um, catalyst for the rest of the pack to be, go, be able to go and play their game is such an exciting um, foundation to play from. And I think that's what I personally got most from last week. It's becoming a bit more of a settled side. I think Hugo Keenan's performance again last weekend was outstanding. Jack Cohen off the back of his um, his Lions Test Series um, selection um, had another great game. And it's, it was a shoe-in for, for number eight, even though Coombs is playing well for Munster. So there's so many different dynamics going on. But it does feel as though... The, the quality of the players coming behind the, the first 15 are driving that standard up. And that you know, if you if you are a bit off, if you only you know, produce a 6 out of 10, that there will be someone to take your jersey. And then there's nothing worse than handing a jersey over, be it through lack of form or through injury, because there's nothing you can do about that other person's performance. That's over to them then. And if they deliver a la Jameson Gibson Park, well, it's very hard for a coach to take that jersey back off them. Can you talk to us about some of the attacking subtleties that we saw last week? And again, with the caveat that it was Japan, but it wasn't just Japan because we saw it in the summer as well. That and we saw it against England. That what Mike Cat is trying to do is different. The game plan is evolving from where we were, as it should do, because this is sport. And if you don't change, you die. What are you seeing? What is making us a more interesting and varied attacking team? I think one of the big aspects that has become very apparent is the, is the work rate of um, the back three and how they're adding uh, an extra number into what, what looks as though it's kind of 
four on fours or five on fives, all of a sudden the work rate of Keenan and Conway in particular. Lowe still has a bit of work to do, but he's a different back three sort of player. Um, but if you look at the amount of times that, that Keenan worked from one touchline to another, um, sometimes he's not even trying to fill into the middle of the park, but working to the edge and making himself an extra man. Likewise for the Bundiaki try, Conway working hard from one side of the rook right across you know, behind the second receiver um, pass. I don't know, was it was it Sexton that gave it to him? Um, but then quick hands himself to to nudge it on and then Aki gets in. The, the creation of those is only coming from working hard, but understanding that you can be the difference in unlocking watertight defences. And, and, you know, talk about watertight defences. The New Zealanders have improved vastly defensively. I think they've given an awful lot more focus to it. But the other nuances are... Um, the screen runners, the players that are being passed behind, all of them are, are viable options and they're sitting down defenders inside. Whereas before, the timings of run might be a little bit off where there's no intent in the run or they're overrunning the, the ball player and so they're not a viable option. And you know, Defensively, if you see that, it's easy to push off. You're able to see some from someone's body language whether they're actually potentially going to get it or whether they're disinterested or ahead of, ahead of the ball or you know stuttering. And all of a sudden you're pushing through and that's where you make an impact behind the advantage line. So all of that was really, really sharp at the weekend. We saw a number of breaks from low off kick receipt um, deep in our own territory where, you know, they went to the pod out the back to Sexton and then he picked up low and went up the middle of the park. And it's the the, the, the way they're looking to keep the ball alive. It's a, it's an unknown for Ireland to have that many offloads in one game. So it's, I think that is why we're excited. And that's why I'm excited is because it's the manner in which they're trying to play so much rugby and change the point of contact and confusing defences as a result makes them very difficult to play against if they are allowed to play that way and if they can win collisions like they did against Japan. But that's a big if. Yeah, let's just, if you if you look back now from the moment that we got this management team in place and obviously they've added Paul O'Connell as they've gone is, are we beginning to finally see the work pay off like was this always there or has there been some kind of transformation in their thinking that looks like over the last 12 months or so um, I think it's really it's materialised quite suddenly and, and they will say that it's been a work in progress and that they've been you know building behind the scenes um, and when you're not there and watching it and seeing the improvements of training and seeing the shape develop, it's very hard to, um, you know, to be objective uh, with it. I have to say, up to the England game, I didn't see a huge amount of it. And I was still a bit confused around what they were trying to achieve from a shape point of view. But I think in the last four games, it's really emerged as to what they're trying to do so off and off. Rooks um, dictated by, you know, usually Johnny Sexton or if he's out of play, it'll be by someone taking um, the lead, be it Jameson Gibson Park or one of the ball carriers. You're looking at one back in behind that pod of three and then you're looking at a, a couple of forwards outside of that. If it does go out the back to Johnny Sexton or whoever that back is, and then the option is to hit either of those forwards on a flat line um, or or to pull it out to the back again and, and go to the width where you're going to have a, a hooker out on the touchline as well or, a, or a, a tight forward. That's the beauty. You can have anyone at this moment in time. Even Tyke Furlong out in the wing is is a win for us. So it's just that the shape that, that it, it's sometimes difficult to fall into that and it might take a couple of phases, three or four phases. I, I was really impressed with how quickly they were able to get into their pattern 
when they did lose shape or where they got turnover ball or they won a kick contest, all of a sudden they had a very, very clear understanding as they were what, what they were trying to achieve, but also then had the ability to for Johnny Sexton to play in behind the rook and pick a side depending on where he saw the defensive setup of the opposition. If they were low on numbers as he did one time, he just swept back got the pod that had previously knocked it up, getting up on their feet. He told them to go again, and he swept down that side and again creating three on twos. So it, it, it's um, the shape is becoming very apparent. They don't get to the touchline very often, but when they do, they screen forwards. Alan New Zealand did in the World Cup as well. They screen two forwards to make sure they don't get caught on the extremity and try and get into the middle of the park because that's where you get to soften defences, and that's where you get an opportunity of creating um, those three-on-twos. So it it looks like they're a very well-coached side at the moment and everybody's buying into the game plan. And ultimately, when it comes to an international side, you've got to... That's, that's, it sounds like it's a very basic thing, but if you have that, then your players are going to be able to play to their best. They're playing without uh, constantly thinking about things and they get into some kind of a flow state, and then it's your best versus their best, and the best team wins. The game is still a, a, about collision winning, you know, and and who you know who can be more physical. And I think that has to be the basics of your performance: is that whether you have the ball or or that the opposition have the ball, that you're, you know, winning that impact zone. And if you're winning it more often than not, it means quicker rough ball. It means more, less settled defenses. And and we talked to that about that ad nauseum. But that's the simplicity of the game. So first and foremost, can you create quick rough ball? Or even better than creating quick rook ball, can you continue changing the point of contact with offloads that New Zealand do so well that it's, you're not trying to have 20 rooks in, in any phase of play as we used to do three, four years ago. We're trying to minimize that. You want to have as few rooks as possible because if you're keeping the ball alive and you're playing you know, in the broken field, no defensive team in the world can set well and organize themselves. So... The least amount of rooks, the better. Super Value Online Shopping delivers convenience and great value right to your door. From lunchbox fillers to tasty midweek dinners. Enjoy the low prices on Super Value own brand ranges you know and love. Online at supervalue.ie. Win with low prices that compete with anyone. Win with Super Value Online Shopping. Um, Ian Henderson is back in the team. He's actually the most experienced member of the pack and he's the second most experienced member of the entire team with 64 caps can Tyburn feel a little bit like ah here lads what do, what the hell do I have to do or is that just the, the pecking order that fully fit Ian Henderson needs to be in the Ireland team well it's it's the ballast part too isn't it so I think we know what we're getting from Tyburn but the reality is second world as international caliber second rows go from a size perspective, he's on the he's on the slight side of things, and um, and you just you just need it, that chunkiness. Also, um, Henderson's a, a you know very good ball carry, ekes out hard yards out of James Ryan as well. Very smart footballer. I, there's no reason why Tyg Burns shouldn't feel aggrieved. Of course, he should because it's still a close run thing. But I can understand why you would bring Henderson in there as well to just tighten things up and just bring that physicality that maybe he just has an edge on Ty Burnover. The, um, you, you talked about the New Zealand team. We had Gregor Paul on from uh, the New Zealand Herald on OTBAM on Wednesday morning and he was saying that this is one of the great rivalries that New Zealand have at the moment. Forgetting about the World Cup, was, uh, he very kindly said that, you know, we've played four, four out of the last five times, take the World Cup out, it's two each. Um, and New Zealand take these games seriously now because they know that 
this is an opportunity for them to put some context on the year. Is it going well? Beat Ireland, beat France. It was a great year. If they don't beat us and they lose to France, then bit of a disaster. They too are going through a bit of a, a change in style of play at the moment. So what do you expect from the team that New Zealand have named in terms of how they're approached again? Because you, you've talked about their defence. Maybe tease, us, tease that out for us a bit and, and why yeah. that look a bit different. Yeah, first of all, I, I think there is a newfound respect for Ireland in New Zealand, which wasn't in existence prior to Soldier Field. I think I, even listening to Sean Fitzpatrick and um, and Richie McCaw, who played it down a little bit more before that game over in Chicago, they talked about how they always felt that they could get the job done irrespective of what went on. Even in 2013, when they were five points behind when the clock went red, they still fancied themselves. Whereas now, I do feel, and just reading um, you know, some of the comments uh, from Perinara during the week, um, talking about you know there, there's more analysis going on, there's more of a perception as to what way Ireland are playing. Before, it was very New Zealand focusing on New Zealand, and it, irrespective of what you threw at them, they would score more points with it or they'd be able to deal with it. I do feel as though there's a bit more analysis going on and they do, they do feel that they will have a proper game on their hands and that they could lose this if they don't play well. And it's great that Ireland have managed to get to that place. But you know, talk about the defensive side of things. Again, the, the, the psychology in New Zealand was always to practice with the ball in hand. The defensive side of things was less fun, less entertaining, a bit of organisation. But not re- and then the physicality that was just expected of you. Whereas you know, organ- you know, thinking about physical defense and and organizational structures in that is a relatively new phenomenon in New Zealand. Um, beforehand, they would always have been thought to have been um, quite a soft defense, quite a passive defense. But yes, again, just managed to get the job done. All all proficient tacklers. Whereas now they're defending an awful lot more square. Wait um, to watch Perinara, who's particularly good at it. He's taking a lot of flyers, a la Gareth Davis in Wales, where he'll try and preempt when the scrum half's going to pass the ball and he'll come shooting from the, from the chip zone in behind the rook and try and charge the first receiver and kind of rattle them a little bit, maybe get a hit in and then just try and change the momentum. So there's small little tweaks and changes to this New Zealand defensive system that have, have, have been incorporated in more recent times that maybe they wouldn't I'm not saying they didn't have the respect for teams with it before but they never felt they needed that focus whereas now I feel as though they realise that they can use their defence as an attacking weapon on top of their ball handling game The other thing, very interesting thing that uh, Gregor Paul said was that uh, South Africa and England were kryptonite for New Zealand and the style of play that they had very similar to the way Ireland would have played was, was how the perception in New Zealand was that we were very strong in the set piece and if we physically got at New Zealand, they were there to be got at. And that's how we won the two games that we won. Um, it was interesting to see that uh, outside perspective of, you know, very, very efficient at Rooks, very efficient in the game plan, very structured. And I was making the point that actually we've, we've changed. Things are different now. We're going to be unstructured. So it'll be very interesting to see exactly how we, how we play against them. Um, but there is an opportunity here for us to to get one over on New Zealand and to really inject confidence and momentum into the setup as it stands at the moment. Yeah, there is, but I think as well, if you if you look at things and you know the Welsh game's a perfect barometer for for that because we're we're never that far away from Wales. It's usually a relatively closely contested game. 
Um, they didn't feel, seem to do a whole lot wrong in that game, but yet they lost 54 points to 16. And New Zealand aren't afraid of giving you some possession. They'll kick the ball away an awful lot. In fact, in that game, it was almost level pegging on, on 50% possession and territory. But yet they are so clinical with taking their opportunities that you have to just suffocate them to not offer too many of them. Because they will take, if you, if you give them four opportunities, they'll take three. That's their cutting edge difference to most other sides. They're, not only their ability to create, but also to put them away. So um, now that they're a bit more miserly in defense, they're not off offering up as many themselves um so yeah it's it's you just have to make sure that when you do take it or you know create a, a chance against them that you do put it away and then you have to have an enormous defensive effort your discipline has to be so good you can't let them get any you know um scoreboard ticking over uh shots at goal that Jordy barrett will will gladly accept and and then you have to get a good slice of lady look and that's where we are always going to be against New Zealand we need so many things to go for us but it feels as though we've got the components now to do that which is exciting and and it's a relatively new phenomenon we wouldn't have been saying this seven six seven years ago no and it's possible we wouldn't even have been saying this before the England game where like this is this is an evolution that we're we're talking about and there's also it feels like genuine strength and depth when the injury profile is the way it is at the moment and obviously that won't last so fingers crossed that um, everybody as many people can get out of this one this weekend is unscathed so the spread is 10 points in favour of New Zealand obviously um, is that about right or should we be confident enough that actually this is going to be a tight game and that we, we've got it's not 50-50 but that uh, we've got a 40% chance 45% chance of winning this weekend um yeah maybe maybe not that high maybe you know somewhere in the 30s but um i do feel as though we 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 are capable of winning like i said you need so much to go for us but i do think that's a decent bet i do think that's a decent bet on ireland at um at, at plus 10 um because i do feel as though we'll cause them problems we'll score points you know 15 or 20 and the question marks are can our defense have a game um, where they reduce New Zealand to 25-odd points themselves, they're capable of doing that. The, the two games that they've won are, are, were quite different games. They scored five tries over in Soldier Field, and they scored one and one in Croke Park in 2018, but both built on very, very impressive defences, even though they conceded, was it three, three tries in Soldier Field? So you, you build everything in performance is built on defense. And then if you're able to create opportunities against the best teams and put one or two of them away, you've got a, a great shot at it. And, and that's I, I know that sounds very simplified, but that's the reality of the way you have to think against New Zealand. Is our defense evolving? Because it was funny. Um, that was what Andy Farrell talked about. Oh, you guys are all going to talk about the 50 points we scored, 60 points we've um, we scored. But actually... I thought that was one of the best defensive performances we've had. Again, caveating it with the opposition, but if he is crowing about the defence, he likes his defence, he's very proud of it, so he must have seen something. Yeah, it was a very, very impressive de defensive import, um, performance. Like, if you look at you know some of those reads that, that Gary Ringrose made, and he didn't get all of them right because he played quite high and himself and, and Conway were disjointed on uh, the one um, Japanese try. Um, where um, you know Ringrose played high and Conway stayed off, so I, I wouldn't say it was it was flawless. But the, 
their their willingness to read through the gap to to try and make big collision collision wins and try and get on the front foot um would lend you to believe that they've put an awful lot of work into it and that there is a lot of excitement around it. A big part of discipline is um is their ability not to concede penalties, to you know, push the referee to the limit, but just stay on the right side of them. And they managed to do that very well with the little limited possession that Japan had last week. I thought their discipline was very good. Uh, it'll again have to be, you know, a maximum of kind of six or seven penalties if they want to be in the game against New Zealand because, you know, through keeping the scoreboard ticking over or kicks into the opposition possession and then launch plays, that's how New Zealand get into the game along with their counter, their unbelievably impressive counter-attacking game. Okay, can we talk about the centre partnership and, and where this goes in, into the future? Because obviously we all assume that Robbie Henshaw is one of the first names on the team sheet given the form that he's been in, in uh, well, particularly over the last year. So obviously it's going to be Bundyaki and, and Gary Ringrose this weekend and that that's keeping them tried and tested. What happens when uh, Henshaw's fit? What happens? Who drops out? doesn't matter if you're, if you're nominated as being one of the best players in, in the world. But if you have a couple of months out and your team goes on and starts having some success, you know, you're quickly forgotten. That, that, you, yes, we, you know, know what Robbie's capable of, but it's all about the guy in possession. And if you've played well the last time you've had an outing, you know, the player coming back in would want to be so, what would want to have been so brilliant the last time he played or to sh- have shown so much potential at tra- training that he usur- usurps you and, and jumps in ahead of you having having not gotten massive game time. So I think it's a really interesting dynamic as to what's going to happen here. We've seen the, the partnership between Bundy and, and Robbie Henshaw evolve. They've gone very well together, went really well in the England game. Now we've seen a partnership of Gary and, and Bundy, you know, un, uh, uniting well last weekend. Can they do it again this weekend? And then we obviously know about the Gary-Robbie partnership. So it's nice that Andy Farrell has all three of those partnerships potentially humming, going well, because nearly always one of them is out injured. It's rare enough that he has a, a full deck of the three centres to choose from over the course of the last couple of years. So to know that they're comfortable you know, working together as as a... Um, as a unit is um, very encouraging, but it would not be easy viewing for Robbie Henshaw watching that last weekend, or indeed if they, if he watched an, an Irish victory um, against New Zealand. And as much as he'd be cheering the lads on, he'd be thinking, "How am I going to get back in this team?" Because it is man in possession. Uh, is there any possibility that Eddie Jones' wildness picking Manu Tuilagi on the wing is something that, that uh, the Irish selectors are going, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why that... Could we maybe... Is there... Could we our lads? Like an outgo on the wing? They did look at Gary Ringrose on the ring. Didn't they? Didn't they look at Gary Ringrose on the on the wing in, in the World Cup? Did he play one of the games on the wing? Um, I don't know. Like, it, sometimes it is about getting your best players on the park, but not um to the detriment of 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 the overall team and 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 someone not being able to do the basics quite as well when you look at what james lowe and conway offer you know conway brilliant in the air and um, very low error count defensively very solid chase and harass and now he's got that extra dimension like hugo keenan working off his wing and creating extra numbers around the corner and then you've got the size the brute force of james Lowe. 
the reality is when you're picking Hugo Keenan and Conway, if you're selecting those two, you're going to have to have a big winger. You can't stick another small winger in there because you will get overpowered. And if you look at the likes of Jordi Barrett, I know Sevu Reese isn't an enormous guy. Will Jordan's no, um, no shrink. Uh, um, so um, you, you have to realise that there is a power game to be played as well and, a, and an aerial dominance game that bigger guys will simply get the better of. So you have to bear that in mind. And, and also the, the balance of the back three needs to be important as well. That's why Stockdale fit in so well with other players as well, because he brought that power aspect, which James Lowe is now doing. I, I think as well, we've obviously got proper strength and depth on the wings as well with Balakun, who we still haven't properly seen at this level and who hopefully we will sooner rather than later and Stockdale as well. So maybe... Um, that would just be adding to the logjam there. A reminder, Rugby and Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, official sponsor of the Irish rugby team, team of us, everyone in. Um, the other thing that I did want to ask you about was is Caelan Doris and the, uh, the difference that having him and Conan together. We wondered what the makeup of the back row was going to be as, as those two and Max Deegan all come through at the same time. And obviously there are already incumbents in various positions across that back row. But it seems like they can play well together in a way that we weren't sure was going to be obvious that actually their skill sets complement each other and that they don't just get in each other's way? Well, I, I think um, a big component of that is Caelan Doris's footballing ability and, and um, the, the simplicity found in being able to switch from from eight to six. He, he's a proper footballer, a ball player, and um, he's probably not the biggest international number eight or certainly not the biggest international number six, but He's clever. He he kind of packs a punch in the in the um, in the contact zone. Um, he's got really nice handling. He reads the game well. And then you've got the brute physicality of Jack Conan, but also now a developed offload game too. So I think they are complementing one another. Then you've got the workhorse of Josh van der Fleer in there as well, just getting through a mountain of work and allowing them go and play, do their thing. So. Back row, similar to, to, to back three, is all about the balance of the three. You can't have three guys wanting to do the same thing. You've got to have someone, a mucker, that's willing to, to do all the nasty stuff and you know the groundhog and, and clear rooks. And then you've got one ball player and then you've got another guy that hits rooks. So it's a matter of who wants to stand up and, and, and be responsible for different roles. And it looks as though that balance, after one game, looks good but a lot more we'll know an awful lot more against this New Zealand back row because they're pretty impressive too and a couple of big units in there yeah that's the point that this game offers us the opportunity to test all of the things that we believe to be true and find out whether or not they're actually true in the the heat of battle um, Keith Wood made the point on the show during the week that we're expert at getting the World Cup cycle exactly out of sync always peaking in the middle of us or a year out from us um, I, I don't think this team has peaked yet because we haven't seen exactly what they can do after four or five games of playing this style but uh, I don't want to be negative about us playing well but it's a bit early it's a bit early in the cycle to be playing well so you know if we, if we play well this weekend and we don't win it's not actually the end of the world so would you prefer to not play well and just temper expectation and, um, and, and wait for us to build our after um, I don't know. Like, uh, it, it, you know, it's very hard not to get. It's very hard not to get giddy when the team goes well. There's no reason to get giddy just yet. Sorry, as much as I'll caveat it by saying that because the the reality was it was an all right Japanese team. Just you know, they beat us in the World Cup, um, 
and we got caught on the hop. And, you know, I, I think the the conditions really impacted the players. There was a, you know, Johnny didn't play. There was a few factors. And, but in reality, we're, you know, Japan are a team that we should be able to beat quite comfortably, even the reemergence of, of, you know, them as a, as a playing nation uh, or, or emergence, I should say. Um, whereas the, the true test is in, you know, is in England and France and New Zealand and Argentina next week because it's the physical sides, the teams that can beat us up that we haven't been able to cope with. They're the ones we learn the lessons from. And if we're able to match them, then we get confidence. Um, and, you know, I, I'm all for, I'd be, I would encourage a good performance and a victory this weekend and not worry about you know peaking mid mid um you know mid cycle because it does feel as though there's a, an improved strength and depth and more guys emerging and coming through and could be part of the world cup setup in two years that really haven't had a huge amount of international rugby yet so i don't know you just you play the hand you're dealt with and never turn down an international victory particularly against the best team in the world. And we've got a three-test series coming up against them next year. Like, that's the, the best part about this is that we actually will get uh, to go on the road and test ourselves against them as well. So I think from from Farrell's perspective and, uh, like, a, the, the noise around Farrell disappeared immediately after the England game. It was like, oh, this coach is under pressure. These guys are on the hot seat. What's my cat doing? What What is his game plan? How does he exist? Where's the point of this? And then it was like, actually, okay, we we see it now. Thanks very much. You've you've shown us, and uh, and it, I think everybody's accepted that this is going to be the group that takes us through to the World Cup. So they're allowed some room for experimentation, but also, again, those victories to copper fasten your own belief in what you're doing. Imposter syndrome is a syndrome is a real thing, and everybody wants to have it. So that's why games like this are actually important out out of the context of just the one-off game. I think one of the really important aspects in all of this in, in the mid-cycle is that there's a huge amount of time in two years. So the game that they're playing currently, there's going to have to be another evolution of that, another iteration of that. If they're playing this game in two years' time, they're dead and buried. So, you know, other teams will hone and modify and change things. They'll still bring it that really strong physical edge, but they're going to have to also, you know, come up with new concepts, new plays, new moves, new strategies, and um, and the cycle of the game will tweak and change itself. So you have to move with those times. If, if you remain do- um, dormant, you, you'll get passed out and worked out, particularly if you have some victories um, en-, en route to get to playing a particular style. As we only too well know in 2018, you know, the, the issue with, with Ireland's World Cup team was they tried to go with the same game plan that had worked for them over the previous 18 months. And that just doesn't work when it comes to a crunch against the best teams in the world because analysis is a key component. And if you're able to thwart a team, find a, a, a kind of a, an Achilles heel or a, or a soft edge, um, they will identify that and they will put you to the sword. What Ireland, you know, what happened that Irish team before was that... Um, Everyone knew they were doing power plays and it was going to be an impact on phase three, four or five. So they just left the rook alone. They didn't challenge. They just got bodies in the line. And once they worked that out, Ireland started kind of running up their own backsides. Whereas the evolution of this game plan is vastly different. But there's going to have to be another movement that I don't know whether they have the vision for that already or whether it'll evolve naturally. But that's going to have to happen because as soon as you have success with a, a type of game plan, Teams will work and study and strategize to how to break that down and they will work that out. 
This doesn't seem to be player specific though. Like this doesn't seem to be we have a certain style of player or a certain profile of pack or a certain profile of backs. This seems to be this is how we're going to play and everybody who comes in is going to have to adopt and learn the skills and get good at this. Yeah, that's caveated with one big thing and we almost got through a full show without talking about Johnny Sexton. But the reality is he is the um, orchestrator of a lot of this. And what I said was, maybe I did mention earlier on that one play where he sits in behind the rook. And I don't know, I haven't seen enough of, jo- of Joey Carberry or if it's going to be Harry Byrne potentially to understand. We haven't seen them at this level to understand where they're ca- whether they're capable of reading defences the same way as Johnny is. My guess is they're not because he is he's a different different level is it uh, of someone of capable of being microscopic and, and being able to in in almost the game is in slow motion for him where he's able to identify we need to go back blind because they've got two defenders on the ground three in the line we've got four on their feet and two sweeping around that's a six on four four and a half let's go that side and that's why he's pulling guys up off the ground and telling them to hit a rock back in because he sees the sweep coming so he, it's, he's like a, he's a bit like a snooker player in that he's a couple of shots ahead of the game where he's almost predicting where there's an overfold defensively and so that's where you sweep. Or if there's an underfold around the corner where players get lazy, then you go on the keep on going side and that's when you get, the, on the, uh, get them on the edge. Is Joey Carberry or Harry Byrne capable of dictating play to, to, to that level of detail? I, I the, the jury's out. I'm sure, like... It- we really hope that Joey Carby gets all the minutes that he can with Munster over the next while and, and we, he, he hones that skill set. Is there a possibility that a 9-10 combination might be able to make up for the absence of the 10 just having it and that actually Gibson Park or maybe Craig Casey can bring a little bit of that too so suddenly you've got those two and Caelan Doris's brain is also working at that level so that just the collective tries to make up for whenever Sexton goes that actually, okay, we understand what we're trying to do here and it's so well drilled that we're all counting the bodies on the on the floor. It was just an experience thing as well for these individuals. I'm not saying that they're not capable of getting to where Tony Sexton is. It's just we haven't, they haven't been given the opportunity to do it yet. And looking at the face of it, it does look as though he sees things a bit clearer than other people, but most other rugby players, full stop. That's the reality of, uh, you know, once in a generation type player. Yeah. Um, whereas... Um, until he is gone, these guys won't be able to be given a proper shot at us, and they won't feel as though there's a, you know, a, a, you know, they're, the coach is fully vested in them as their guy, and so they they know they're going to be bit part players up until the World Cup, and unless something catastrophic happens, that's the reality of where we are at the minute. Even with a 36 year old out half, and it's a dangerous thing to be going into a World Cup with a guy that old, but he's in great shape, he's in great form, and how can you not back? Kim right now. Yeah, and look, absolutely right now. And let's revisit that next summer and let's revisit it next winter and let's revisit it the summer after that. And who knows when the cliff comes because it comes for everybody at some point. So one last point um, on the, the the management was, oh, they're tainted because they've been part of the, the previous regime and that regime ended in failure and so we should have had a new broom that comes in and sweeps. But actually what's happened is that if we do ever need to go back and play some of the power plays, the IP is still there. The knowledge of exactly what worked and what didn't work in the past is still there. So the next iteration of the game plan could well be a mix of what we're doing right now and a mix of what the best part of what Schmidt did. And like version three is actually a one and a half. 
But like every new iteration of the Ganger isn't new IP. It's a it's a rejig version of something else that has more often than not previously been done. There's no one out there. There's no one, um, you know, there's no one creating a new version of the game. It's just the different cycles. And yeah, you do see new plays, of course. But the the form and the way games are happening and and the the, the calls that you go back to are more often than not have been used at some point over the last hundred years in some guise or some form. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it takes a, a very unique person to be able to come up, a Wayne Smith maybe, someone to come up with a, 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 an analytical type game or a, a, a game that maybe we, we haven't seen previously. There haven't been too many of those. Even with New Zealand, there have been versions of new things, new concepts, but for the most part, it's of a form that has been previously played or backline plays or launch plays certainly that have nearly always been done by someone beforehand yeah there's nothing new under the sun that's why uh, these games always are really interesting to see who comes up with the latest iteration of it Brian good stuff thanks many for joining us this week cheers cheers sir Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone official sponsors of the Irish rugby team team of us everyone in Hey, what do you think of this Valentine's card? Oh, you shouldn't have. Wow, it's huge. I know. She's got to love you. Where did you get it? Eurogiant. Nice. What else did you get her? Valentine's heart-shaped confetti, bunting and balloons, boxes of chocolates. Eurogiant has loads of Valentine's stuff. Are you not a bit early, though? It's not till, like, March 14th. Uh, no. February 14th. What? Love the Valentine's bargains at Eurogiant. Shop in store or online now at Eurogiant.ie.